much love. There's more to life than being really, really ridiculously good looking. It's episode 13, season five of Ravish Love. What's this theme's? What is this week's theme, Renee? Models. Supermodel work. Um, fun fact, y'all. This is not why we chose it, but both Renee and I separately used to model in our youths. Um, so we have experience in this area. Um, you chose this theme for this week, and it's because you found a particular book, right? Because is that correct? Is that my yeah. Yeah, because it was actually quite difficult to find a book about models. I was quite surprised. Like it wasn't like impossible, but there were not as many as I thought there were. Like there's definitely more books out there about like NASCAR drivers (laughs) and like (laughs) the Amish. I was so. Let me ask you before we hop into it. Yeah, is the model in your book? Do you have a plus size model? No. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I have seen quite a few that were like, plus size models. She's curvy and a model. And you're like, yeah, right on. But um, I mean, like, okay, you know what would have been good, Julie? What? Is if one of us found a romance about a model T. <laughs> I mean, we got a whole season to go. We might just, we might just. <laughs> but you're right. I do think that I found one or two books that were like, she's curvy, but still people want to see her, which I found very funny in light of the this year's <laughs> Met Gala, which theme was Karl Lagerfeld, a man who was notorious for saying, and I quote, nobody wants to see curvy women. Um, so I get why people feel like it's a, you know, it's feminist or like subversive to write a book about curvy models and like BBWs and what have you. But um, yeah, I was like expecting 500 Danielle Steele novels. Like, I don't know why I thought like she loved glamour, really? right? It's like Joan Collins. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Like glamour and like ritziness. And so I don't know. I just, it was harder than I thought. And the book I landed on, I'm so happy with. And it's not at all what I thought it was going to be, nor is it at, unlike any of the other books that we've read. But yeah, just to say that I um, was quite surprised that it was huh. not more. I even like went through the whole stack of books that I have at my house. I'm like, there's got to be one where it's like, he did a model or whatever. Nope. <laughs> none. I got all kinds of weird zany shit on my bookshelves, but none of it involves <laughs> super models. Uh, I was even trying to find like a drag queen situation. because I'm like, that's kind of like a model, but anyways did not that's not what i found but i did find a gem hit me okay title cover page not super original (laughs) so don't be don't be thrown off by the description of it or anything it's literally called a model romance um by michael p thomas And I'm going to read you Michael's bio because I thought it was so sweet and it'll make so much sense once I tell you about the book. So Michael B. Thomas is a flight attendant whose passions include the coffee in France, the hundred yen stores in Japan, and the men in Argentina. His writing is continually inspired by his work with the flying public who flatly refuse to be boring. 
He writes gay fiction because when he was coming out, he sure was glad to have it to read. After misspending his youth in San Francisco, he now lives in his native Colorado with his husband. And he's on Twitter as Mr. Stewardess. Um, and this is part of a publishing house called JMS Books, which I had never heard of, but it's a small e-press specializing in gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender fiction, including erotica, romance, and YA, as well as popular and literary fiction, nonfiction, poetry. Um, so I thought that was super cool. So if you are listening to this, because they also say go to gmsbooks.com for submission guidelines. So if you are uh, a writer who wants to write queer romance or queer erotica or queer YA, Check out JMS Books. I've never, I don't think we've ever read a book where they were like, here's how you can submit to join. So I thought that was very cool. Um, this book came out in 2013. It's about 30 pages. So it's quite short. And it was delightful because it was not at all like anything we've ever read. So I did not choose this book for this reason, but it's also important to know that May is a few things. So May is Sexual Assault Awareness Month here in Canada, but it's also Asian Heritage Month. And so this book, I'm not sure about the author, but this book, uh, the protagonist is a Korean American man. So, and his name is Kai. And Kai is born and raised in America. His grandmother came to America with his with his grandfather and in coming to America, she basically left her culture behind. So she didn't cook Korean food. She didn't speak Korean. She didn't kind of pass down any cultural traditions or language traditions. Uh, Kai was really sort of Americanized. And when he then kind of was growing up and decided to learn Korea, he would, or sort of Korean, he would try to speak to his grandmother and she would kind of act like she didn't understand him. And he was like, it's literally the only language she spoke until she was 19. Like, I think her survival strategy was just to like, you know, be subsumed into the American culture, melting pot, if you will. So after high school, kind of floundering a little bit, not really sure, you know, was pretty, I would say gay bash, but he argues, you know, everything kind of borderlining on gay bashing, but nothing really ever that bad, but really just a lot of homophobia and experiences in his community in his high school. So he decides, fuck it. I'm going to be a young guy who's going to backpack and I'm going to backpack to Korea and I'm going to learn the culture that is my family and is my heritage. And he very quickly gets approached to model because he is beautiful and because of colonization has a mix of like looking somewhat Korean, but also very white. Uh, and because of colonization and racism, uh, that is appealing, right? So in Korea, it's like, okay, well, you kind of look Korean, but you mostly look white. And so therefore that's the look, like sort of an aspirational look. So his career takes off. He's doing all kinds of, he's doing runway, he's doing billboards, he's doing ads, he's doing TV commercials, he ends up getting acting gigs, um, and he's just crushing it. Meanwhile, Bridger, Bridger Bradford is a former popular high school jock, blonde, blue eyes, kind of all-American, thick, jacked up man. Um, is 
traveling to Korea because, and this it made me laugh because I'm like, I could totally see this happening. He joined a Christian choir because he was kind of looking for community, but also he had a mad crush on one of the members of the choir. So he joined the <laughs> choir to um, basically lust after this man and they were going on a trip to Korea. And so he was like, of course, I'm going to go on this trip and this is how I'm going to get him to realize like he's been in love with me the whole time. Puts the moves on the guy who's like, Ugh, Jesus doesn't approve. So he's like, oh, you like actually believe in this shit. <laughs> cool. Uh, so now I feel like a ding dong because I have been chasing after a straight man all the way to fucking Korea. And because he propositioned him, he's now like the pariah of the group of like, oh my God, this little fucking gay boy is here and like gay being gay is wrong. Da, da, da. So he's like not having a great time in Korea. Kind of has to like just make it through to the end of this trip. And he keeps seeing this man, this model who's selling perfume, who's selling alcohol, who's selling tuxedos for weddings. And he just is like buying every magazine that he can find to cut out pictures of him. It's just like, I've never seen anyone so beautiful in my whole life. He goes back to the US, San Francisco specifically. And he kind of has like, the way I pictured it, Renee, is did you have Teen Beat or Tiger Beat and Bop and all of those sure like did. posters in your room? JTT will let me be. JTT will let me be. Devin Sawa, Ryder Strong. Like these were the dudes that we were like. <laughs> <laughs> and I was also buying Monarchy magazine and cutting up photos of Prince William because I'm an unhinged person and have been since birth. But. Ooh, what about some Donny Osmond? <laughs> That's my mom. I'll let her have it. But one bad apple. <laughs> one bad apple don't spoil the whole bunch, girl. And so we, he's, you know, he's now in the US and he's got all these ads and he's a bit, he feels a bit sheepish about it because he's like, does this look like a stalker serial killer wall that I have like all these pictures of this man and I'm like in my <laughs> 20s? But he makes it seem sort of artistic. So the ones that are related to food, he puts in his kitchen and anyway so it's kind of turned turns into a little bit of like all over oh yeah oh yeah yeah but he's trying to just sort of play it up as like he's just beautiful and also like the you know it's i'm using it as artwork for my house again i'm also picturing every single dude bro house Mm -hmm. i've ever been to where there's maybe like (laughs) a sports towel like safety (laughs) pin to the wall and like a dirty sheet (laughs) is a this fucking shelf of bottles like empty bottles 100 (laughs) percent. where they're like it's fucking art you just don't like get it that's my collection (laughs) yeah or like my brother and his friends who had a shelf that was just like their various bongs um and they're like this is one i made myself out of a mason jar or whatever true thing that my brother did when we lived together and then when the fucking building came to do an inspection i didn't realize it was sitting out and the guy doing the inspection just walked by it and went (laughs) nice i was like oh thank god (laughs) um so anyways he's got all these posters whatever um he's sort of like you know it's basically in a spank bank like he's like this guy is probably not even a real person it might be fucking ai at this point but he's beautiful and it makes me happy to look at him so, um, he then goes out to the bars because uh, if there's anything Bridger is, it's popular because he has that kind of hyper-masculine look, but he's also very gay. Um, and so he cleans up real well. 
Um, he becomes popular with closeted jocks. Um, oh. And because again, he doesn't look quote unquote, doesn't look gay. Right. So like they could just be out like getting beers together and then fucking each other quietly. But it's not like taking out like a flamboyant gay man where you're like, I've just advertised to everyone that this is who I'm fucking, you know? Um, yeah. But he's also like quite popular in the queer community and he's kind of like the guy um, who like everybody knows him at the bar. Everyone's like, hey, Bridger, what's going on? So he goes to the bar and he has his usual stick, which is like all he brings with him is his keys um, and his phone because he's like, I haven't had to buy a drink in this town in 15 years. So I'm just going to go cruising tonight and whatever. Well, guess who he fucking runs into? No. And he's like, there's no way it's him. Why would this beautiful man from Korea be at a gay bar in San Francisco at the same time as me? Like, there's no way. That's not possible. How could this gay person be at a gay bar, <laughs> the gayest city in America? What is happening? Oh, and he literally says it's in the Castro district. So, like, it is literally the gayest place in America. <laughs> but again, he just thought, like, he must be Korean in Korea. So, like, what the fuck is he doing here? And then Kai kind of gives him the eyes and is like looking him up and down and coming towards him. And Bridger's like, this is impossible. Like, what is happening? So he starts talking to him. And then he, then Kai says, you don't remember me, do you? And Bridger is sort of taken what? aback. Like, no, I definitely don't know. And at this point, he's not even convinced it's Kai. He's like, it's just like a doppelganger. And he's like, yeah, I, we went to the same high school and you once intervened when I was being bullied and they were shoving me around. The jocks were shoving me around and calling me oh the F God. word. And then because you were one of the jocks, you kind of came by and just like grabbed them by the scruff of the neck. and was like, come on, guys, like grow up, leave them alone. And then just left. And Bridger's like, I vaguely remember that. But like, I'm so sorry. I don't remember you. And he's like, that's OK. That's OK. I've always had like. I always thought like, oh, you know, this person saved me, but also like that you were really cute, but I never thought you were gay. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So what have you been up to? He's like, oh, I was in Korea for a little while, just being like real modest. And he's like, oh, I was just in Korea. What were you doing there? Oh, I was doing a little bit of modeling, a little bit of acting. And he's like, oh my God, funny story. Definitely had a crush on you. Doesn't say I have a fucking serial killer wall of you of my house, but <laughs> does say like, oh, big fan. So they really hit it off. And then Kai says, what are you doing this weekend? And he's like, I don't know, but if I have plans, I can easily cancel them. He's like, great. You want to come to the Oscars with me? <gasps> so Kai, one of the films that he was in, because he's so modest, uh, one of the films he was in is nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars, and so invites Bridger to come with him. Bridger's like, uh, yes. And so there's these cute little anecdotes of like, I played, I don't know, like beer pong or something with Drew Barrymore, and then I did this with this person and did this and like had a great night. And then they go back to the hotel. They absolutely just devour each other. And then um, the assistant kind of comes in with all these flowers and all this sort of congratulatory stuff because the film did win for Best Foreign Language Film. And Kai turns to this assistant person and says, oh, you can tell my agent that I quit and I'm not going back to Korea because I'm good. The end. Oh, yeah. So that's very rom commy. Like it's perfect, start it's to finish. So perfect, and that's the thing that I loved about it is that 
it is, it's short. Like it was like 30, 40 pages, but it didn't feel like anything was like sped through. So like you got really great backstory on these two men, including this like really great, like kind of like history lesson and like, or even just like social lesson about like the history of both colonization, but also like how people adapted to just people try to survive um, by just like being like, Oh, I'm just an American, you know? And then him now, because we've done little by little, but have chipped away a bit at racism. Now you have sort of the next like second generation, third generation being like, Hey, I want to get in touch with my roots and like going back to that. Like all of that was so interesting and it didn't feel again. I don't, I'm a, like, I don't know if the author is Asian. I'm not sure, but, but it felt again as a white lady, very respectful. Like it didn't feel like it was like exoticizing Korean culture or like making Kai seem like the appeal was that he was Asian and it was, didn't feel like anything like that. It just was like, you are an objectively hubba hubba of a person. <laughs> and <laughs> we make an odd pair of like this very beautiful, you know how like male models are almost kind of feminine, right? Cause they usually have like full lips and like, you know, the cheekbones and all these things. And so this pairing of this like kind of effeminate, you know, slender, korean american model with this like all american quarterback looking dude including when they fuck quarterback man gets to bottom and he was like okay i never got to do this i'm here for it so big fan of this book i would absolutely read something else that he's written and i just love that it had spice and it was like romantic but also like very well written. There was no typos. There was no weirdness. And it had like a very good dimension to it. And also just original. Like so many of the books that we read are fucking formulaic as hell. Yeah. And yeah. this was not because I was like, oh, they're going to run into each other in Korea. Nope. So then he comes back to the States and I'm like, well, then how the fuck are they going to meet? And then it's like, oh, who shows up at the Castro? So it was just really, really impressive. Hats off to um, the author for killing it. Um, and so in terms of spice, I'm giving it five out of five spicy Korean chicken. Cause when they did fuck, it was quite hot, but also the sexual tension, you know, I love some funny mm. banter. There was some great banter at the bar. Um, and in terms of accoutrement, um, he came prepared. Wait, wait, with, wait. Oh, I want to know what after the accoutrement or instead of yeah. what they would have worn to the Met. Ooh, good call. So I'm thinking that Bridger, our all-American guy, would have worn like a a traditional tuxedo, but maybe with like long tails at the back. Like just like a little, like just like taking the traditional look and just like a tinsy little tweak to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe like a traditional tuxedo with like, a pop of color in the gloves, like wearing little gloves or maybe like a pop of color in the shoes. Uh, but since this year's Met Gala was Karl Lagerfeld, whose whole spiel was pearls and black and white. Um, I feel like there would have just been like a tiny little twinge of something different. And then for Kai, our supermodel, I'm thinking really lavish, like maybe a tuxedo, but without a shirt. And then just having like layers of pearls a classic Karl Lagerfeld look um, with like really strong eye makeup to like Ooh. accentuate the beautiful cheekbones. Cause they kept talking about his cheekbones and I was like, Oh, love a chiseled cheekbone look. 
Um, so I'm thinking like really dramatic eye makeup, um, a suit, maybe with a kilt kind of a situation, but like a, a traditional looking black suit, <clears throat> but with layers and layers and layers of pearls around his neck. Um, Cause that's a classic Chanel look. And I think everyone would want this man to be chest out on a Tuesday. 100%. What a great question. And th- I gotta ask, because it sounds like you obviously, I mean, this doesn't sound like, I know you know fashion, mm. you know I know the back, like the back hall of a Payless, <laughs> so um, I gotta ask, because I, I don't watch the Met, and I, but I like to see the looks, yeah. you know, I like that year they did like, I don't know, the Pope or whatever oh my God. was, I like that one. I th- still think, I actually read a post about it today, I still think that that was like one of their best every years, like it was such... I just, yeah, I love fashion and I love a fashion challenge and Mm -hmm. I love how some people, there's actually, if people want to laugh, go and Google Alexander Skarsgård, the Met Gala. I don't know if you saw this, Renee. Motherfucker basically wears the same thing every single year and it's just a tux (laughs) and people are like, why are we even inviting this fucking guy? (laughs) You do not need to to take up space on the red carpet. It's so funny. It's like at least four years in a row and he's just wearing a fucking basic like capital b basic tux and it just cracks me up so hard i'm like is this a bit or is he truly like so unoriginal or is he just so swedish that he doesn't understand the assignment i don't know but anyways you have jared leto who goes like hard in the paint you have rihanna who's just like killing it year after year and then skarsgård's just like well i'm here just like quintessential <laughs> white man putting no effort into it and just being like, where's my fucking applause? <laughs> okay. So as the fashion person, I have a question. Absolutely. Because so I was looking at the photos and of course my nemesis, Jared Leto was there um, in a cat suit, like the mascot costume. Shoot, and yep. I, I realized that he, he must've worn that because he knew that the, the, the public would be throwing old vegetables at him but then i saw doja cat also dressed as a cat mm-hmm. complete like the with cat the prosthetic cats. yeah yeah so my question is what's the deal with the cat oh so carl lagerfeld famously was obsessed with his white persian cat named Choupette. and oh. like this cat is 11 years old and i don't know if carl had her like her entire life or whatever but they were like inseparable it's kind of like maybe you don't know this but um dita montese has this like funky little cat that she literally flies with and travels with and does stuff it's like her little companion um this was like carl lagerfeld's companion was this like very cute little white cat named choupette who uh, is now like one of the richest animals in the world um but that is why people in paying homage to carl lagerfeld there were people people were like okay well to pay homage to him is also to pay homage to Choupette. so yeah uh, there's no way that carl lagerfeld was buried in his pyramid without his cat was well, cat still kicking no julie that cat was obviously mummified along with carl <laughs> so that they could go to the afterlife together I'm, I mean, you're not wrong. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it's, a, it's a phony. It's, it's, a it's the other Paul McCartney. <laughs> it's the stunt Choupette that we've all been dealing with. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, it is very funny because, yeah, if folks who are listening to this didn't see it, Jared Leto's wearing, like like you said, like a full-on like furries mascot outfit and only took his the head off at the top of the red carpet. So, like, there's a picture of Lizzo hugging him but being like, who the fuck is this? Um, and then Doja Cat got, like, 
a beautiful gown, like a very beautiful gown, but then got like actual claws for her nails and then got this prosthetic situation going on with her face, which I find disturbing because it was very well done. But I found it extremely obnoxious that her interviews were literally just her meowing. And then little Nas X dressed up as a cat covered entirely in crystals and also only meowed for interviews. And I thought, I don't know. I don't think it's a great bit. I just did. I just, I found it annoying. <laughs> um, but yes, there was like, I think a few other people that had like a cat shaped purse or little clutch that they carried with them. I think someone had like cat print something on their shoe. So that was part of the Karl Lagerfeld's thing was black and white, like love the look of black and white and pearls and lots of accessories, like layers of layers and layers of accessories. And Shupet, his mm. cat. Um, so yeah, that's why everyone was dressed as a cat. That's your the more you know fashion moment here on Ravage <laughs> Love. And that's a wrap. <laughs> and we're done. No, no. Uh so that's what I read. I do recommend reading uh, a model romance, but you chose this theme because there was a particular yeah. book that you wanted to read. And so I am dying to know about it. Yeah, I uh, got a Julie Lalone style story yes. um, and had to tell you specifically what it was so that you didn't get it because yes. uh, you would have. <laughs> My book is called Dripping, an F for F steamy short by Adriana Herrera. Adriana Herrera! love her forever Adriana and yes big fans here on the show um yeah so uh, that's your first Adriana Herrera you've read correct yeah that's right perfect that's right um I mean you read all these great like Olivia Waite and then mm -hmm. Adriana Herrera and all these great stories that always end up being like not only like solid stories but also um bangers yeah right yeah yeah and uh this one was in kindle unlimited <laughs> so it's <was laughs> like oh what's this incredibly renowned author doing in kindle unlimited well you can get like all kinds of people there but i digress so um i got it and it was about a 10 minute read i read it in between sessions at a conference today <laughs> um okay so jalissa is not only the first fat model, but the first fat Afro-Dominican model Ooh. for this jewelry company called Ooh. like Maison Dauphine. And it's like a world-class jeweler that make beautiful jewelry. So she's going to her hotel room with like her model friend uh, named Hansel. So hot right now. <laughs> Hansel. Uh, no. <laughs> I was going to mention earlier when you said that like, that feminine look that male models have, I was going to tell you that it's called Blue Steel. <laughs> True. It has a name. True. Your like, catalog look. Just <laughs> fucking respect it, Julie. It has a name. Excellent. You're good point. Good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, see you later. Um, yeah. So she's uh, she's going back with her her model slash friend Zarita, and. Um, Zarita's holding Julissa's secret, and her secret is that she's fucking her bodyguard. <gasps> yeah, and her, her bodyguard's name is Freya, and she's a giant butchy woman, obviously. Mm -hmm. So um, they obviously have plans to get freaky. 
And uh, sure enough, Zarita's like, okay, well, don't don't forget. We got to be somewhere at like 4 a.m. And she's like, don't worry, I won't forget. So Freya's like, do we have all night? And she's like, yeah, we got most of it. <laughs> so she's like, okay. So every time Freya and uh, Julissa get together, Freya brings a black box. And the black box always has a gift in it. It could be like jewelry. It could be, um, I don't know, like undies. It could be anything. Um so tonight there's two boxes and she's like oh wow okay i wonder what it is i'm so excited and um freya's like basically like i want you to be super wet for me but keep your jewelry on and your stilettos and she's like okay so not only is she dripping from her pussy she's dripping with diamonds yes. so that's that's where it comes Such from goals yeah so she's in all this like couture jewelry in her stilettos and Freya's like bend over and put your hands on the bed and she's like okay Freya and so she opens the box and it's it, okay so they say at first they say it's butt plug okay and then they're like she's gonna she's like, I'm gonna plug your butt but it was actually anal beads and I wouldn't say that you plug a butthole with anal beads a uh, bold choice, uh, <laughs> considering she'd been working all day, probably in shapewear. Um, but I'm proud that, you know what? Love knows no bounds. Yes. And that's so. Uh, love is love, she, Renee. Love is love. <laughs> and now I'm going to say, too, I've only ever seen and use those super freaking long anal beads. Um, and that's all I could imagine. But again, I was like, not a great, great choice for this. Like, you guys are in couture and like, she was in a silk dress all day, so she would have had to have been wearing shapewear, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the, those wrong. guts are bad mushed, like <laughs> bad. So anyway, so they get right into it. They got like the anal beads, the, like, eating pussy, it's a whole thing. And then uh, Julissa comes, and then she's like, Freya, I'm hungry, yum, yum, sit on my face. And she's like, you got it. And then uh, they do that. And then she's like, oh what's in the second box and she's like well why don't you open it and as she's opening it there's a knock on the door and she's like did you order something she's like oh i ordered champagne and then she looks in the box and there's a ring box (gasps) and so even though she had to take off the couture jewelry that she was modeling in that box is something she's never gonna have to take off because they're gonna get married (gasps) and you know like they they probably met the week before and oh, yeah. uh you know that's how lesbians they, do baby yeah and i love that for them so <laughs> um honestly when it was a steamy short it was exactly that they're like they just didn't they, were, they just got right down to it they didn't hold any punches so um <laughs> 10 out of 10 for spice um i don't i don't know fashion so um i'm gonna i'm gonna say that julissa should have worn like um low cut jeans with like a low cut skirt over top um with some like running shoes like converse that go up to the knee and then maybe like those like sequiny butterfly tops that that you tie in the back but then paired with butterfly clips and like her hair twisted back and then like a really tiny purse mm. and like i want a whale tail mm. And then Freya, I would put in like 
an old Victorian school marm dress, oh. like with a high collar, stiff, mm-hmm. like very like stiff. Um, just because I think that the dynamic would be very political. Mm. Um, and, you know, they would together as newly fianced individuals beat up Jared Leto in that cat <laughs> Like with, with the head, maybe. Like I for sure Freya has like one of those like uh cl- like police clubs that you like flick out and it's like super long. For sure she has one of those. Um, but I like the idea of him getting crushed by that giant head. Love that. Mm-hmm. Uh if people who are listening to this don't know, just Google uh Jared Leto and his penchant for underage girls. Um He's my worst. He's a great a fucking creeper, and why he continues to get away with it, I do not know. Um, but if you were not aware as to why we're dragging Jared Leto to hell, this is why. There's this fucking joke, and I I'm gonna always bring it up every time I talk, talk about Jared Leto because it, like, I think about it daily. <laughs> and I actually, when when Facebook like memories became a thing, I shared it and was like, "You're welcome, future me." And then I got it a year later. I was like, ha, I'm so happy I did this. So it's like, um, are you going to the Al Yankovic show this weekend? Don't you mean Weird Al Yankovic? Not to me, Jared Leto. <laughs> like, it's just it's a stupidest <laughs> joke, but I love it so much. That's <laughs> so fucking stupid, but it's true. <laughs> That's very funny. He, I mean, I will take any excuse to drag that man so Mm -hmm. it could be a bad dad joke it could be anything and i'm here for it yeah but so how did you feel reading uh adriana herrera coming to my side the light side of the ravage love podcast how did you feel about it okay 10 out of 10 i chose this for the title before i even knew who wrote it and because it's like a rose with what looks like fucking moisture all over it's diamonds now that i'm looking at it closer but (laughs) it could be pussy juice all over a fucking rose um this book was filthy like the sex scene was filthy and um there was no story so i can't even compare story to the high bar of cryptid uh erotica um but it was well written i would say otherwise uh loved the very happy ending because they could have just they could have just come together and that would have been a happy ending but she elevated it she brought it to the next level in a 10 minute read also um points for giving me something to do between sessions today at this conference because it was a lot of policy talk <laughs> and it, then i could just flip over to be like and then she pops some anal beads up her butthole and i'm like perfect perfect urbanization so um, <laughs> So yeah, lo- loved it. And you know what? I would be interested in reading like another like like if I can get my hands on an Olivia Way book that we haven't talked about on the show, I would read it because I could be like, ha, ah, I don't know what happens and then read it. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean you 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 do find solid stories and I love stories, but I kind of gatekeep my myself from myself as far as like books go where i try not to get something too story driven for the show because i always end up loving the story and then there's no fucking and it doesn't matter and i'm like happy to talk about the story but that's not what we're about here in ravage love (laughs) we are about the dripping and um 
So it's, 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 yeah, I try to keep all my storytelling time for like, I'm reading a book about a Halloween ghost situation in the 1980s right now. And that's, that's me time. Um, so I'm glad that this book was not story driven, nor was it really character driven. It was just a spicy, steamy short by Adriana Herrera. <laughs> we love to fucking see it. So what are you going to read us since it was so short and so quick on the spice? Um, I'm going to read the last uh, page. <laughs> I mean, as as far as it. like this goes for um, an ebook, because they're not really pages. So no, but I do love how that's what like, that's the trick that we've learned from this <laughs> podcast is like, if it's real spicy, they get like the first page or the last page because <laughs> um, the rest is all filthy. Yeah, and, and, and we're not against reading a whole sex scene on this show, but it's difficult, I find at least, to because I try and find the funny books. Mm-hmm. Like I really try, and I find that often, unless it's a very niche erotica, mm-hmm. the funny stuff doesn't always come up in the sex scenes. Oh, true, true, true. And sometimes right? the sex scenes are quite long, and then you're like, do I cut it off halfway through before the climax? Like, what do I do? Yeah, yeah you know what? Because I use an e-reader, I highlight it often, like the parts that I can read and what I'll keep out. Mm-hmm. And then that way, like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to roll. That's so smart. You know it's what? like you've been doing this for five seasons or something. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> um, just before... Uh, at the end, at the very end of this chapter, like at the end of the book, it says, enjoy dripping... <sighs> Read more FF romance with Her Night with Santa. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> that took a bit of a spicy turn. Right? I like it. But I mean, she also writes often about like BIPOC people. And so that could be like Santa Carolina. Oh, it could know, be like Santa Cristobal from, or something. Yeah, yeah. From, from, from Brazil. I don't know. <laughs> right? Like it could be anything. Okay. So, um, this is the end of your book. Yeah, there's a little, little bit of sexy time, a little bit of sexy, but then the rest is like just sweet. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> I feel you everywhere, she gasped, making my core throb. As I worked my mouth and fingers on her, I scissored my legs. I pressed two digits inside her and kept the pressure she loved, then alternated between hard sucks and swirling my tongue on her nub. I felt the muscles of her legs tighten and... I heard the shaky exhale, which usually came right at, right before she fell apart. I groaned in encouragement, sucking harder, moving my fingers in and out of her body um, as it rocked through an orgasm. I lapped and touched until she was too sensitive, and then let her slide back down me. She put her hands on my face, kissing me sweetly for a long moment. When she pulled back, her smile was radiant. That was worth chasing your gorgeous ass after that shoot. I laughed at that, remembering what the weights on my chest and wrists were. I ran a hand over the jewels and pushed up to kiss her again might be a good time to take these off she made quick work of it and placed them carefully on the side table where i noticed she'd put my other package i raised an eyebrow as she grabbed it and put it in a spot between us on the bed my heart raced as i looked at it a small red and gold box like the one maison dauphine used to display their pieces it was not the first time freya had presented me with one but uh, but the way her eyes softened and her cheeks flushed with pink kicked up a flutter in my chest. What is it? I asked, breathless again. She leaned in to kiss me, and I came to her, her hand roaming already, looking for that spot between my legs that was aching for her once more. But after a moment, she pulled back. Open it, she encouraged. My hand shook as I picked it up. There was a knock on the door just as I lifted the lid and revealed a small ring box. 
Did you call up for anything? My lover grinned as she got up from the bed and grabbed a robe that was on a chair. She winked as she slid it on, and just as I flipped the top open, she said, Champagne. I bit my lip and watched her stride to the door, my hands holding a diamond I never planned to take off. And that's, uh... Now, there was a scene I wanted to read where um, she just describes what both of their pussies looks like. And, um... Was a big fan of that, so... Were or were not? No, I, I was. Oh, I was. was, was. Okay. I was just like, maybe that's a lot for the show, given that I read a chaste book. <laughs> well. By, ch- by chaste, I mean normie. A normie exactly. Because that's what's so funny about our podcast now is that you're like, she took out anal beads and she fucked her and then fingered her and ate, or ate her and they ate each other and then they like poured honey on each other's bits and you're like, <laughs> you know. Like a chaste book. A huge <laughs> missionary. Yeah, exactly. Just- but here's the thing is that she didn't... Okay, so listen. If I had one pet peeve, if I had one pet peeve, as some... As I want to I say an anal bead connoisseur, um, she she didn't pull the beads out until after Jalissa had come. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that would feel terrible. What it? You're supposed to you're supposed to yank those out when you're coming. Oh well, maybe some That's, maybe she just likes the fullness. Maybe it's not the like in and out feeling she likes. It's just the fullness of it. Maybe Julie. Maybe she just likes maybe to be filled right. up, Renee. <sighs> Who can blame her? Honestly, There's only so many fingers on a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike those straight people, had different digits. Like well, they have PBs. <laughs> I was hope honestly, I was hoping that like there was a strap on some strap action. Yeah, because I like I like reading strap on scenes quite a bit, but um, maybe it was okay. I just I wish the adjective plug or the verb plug before anal beads bothered just ruined the whole book for me. The whole book bothered you. That's fair. I love that you're like I read a book about balloon animals that fuck each other, but then you're like. You would have taken those <laughs> anal beads out of your ass, so that would have felt weird. And like, I felt like a strap would have been more realistic. And you're like, "Bitch, why do you care about realism? Who, who is this version of Renee?" <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate when I read about being ganged by Mothman, and I learned what an ovipositor was because the author put in the time and effort to do that research. And it made the whole thing more magical and realistic. <laughs> if Adriana Herrera had ever used anal beads, <laughs> she would have written this right. And so what I have to say is that this was clearly written by a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> Fair. And I think she would just nod and be like, I see you, Renee. <laughs> I am going to read something totally different. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to read for you a little scene um, about uh, right in the beginning where Kai is kind of talking about his experience of being a model um, and what that was ultimately about for him. Because I thought, again, of all the stories that I found about modeling and romance, it was one, a woman possibly a curvy woman but it was also it was very much a woman and it was just like glamour 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 where this he had a very pragmatic approach to it which i thought was quite interesting and actually the only the only male model i know now former male model also had the same approach like he like went to school for engineering and is like 
very smart, but was like, oh, I'm tall. I got cheekbones for days. I got a jawline to cut glass. Um, I was an athlete my whole life, so I'm in good shape. You want to pay me to travel the world and just be a mannequin? Like, cool. I'll just do this for a while, make my money, and then dip. Um, So that is kind of the vibe that Kai had, which I thought was an interesting detail to put in the book. So I'm just going to read you a little bit about his experience modeling. So that we end on theme, if you will. It was never about the money for Kai. He never chased success for its own sake. Rather, he viewed his popularity as a way to extend his time in Korea, to let him get closer to a part of his soul that he felt his family had neglected to nourish. While he was always up for a hot model-studded party with his Aussie roommates, he also took every opportunity to socialize with the Korean crews he met. The photographers, the makeup artists, he never passed up an opportunity to go out for drinks or to or to get some bibimbap, which is delicious Korean food. Uh, He delighted in being invited to Korean friends' houses to learn Korean cooking. He took a calligraphy class and learned to write, and even took a series of classes on throwing celadon pottery, which was not his artistic strong point, it turned out. But he was admired for trying, and before long he was able to joke around and eventually hold forth in Korean, which is when his career really took off. The ill-behaved straggle of his ink-black hair and the slightest Asian lilt of his eyes turned heads on virtually any street in the U.S., but the fact that he was exotic yet unmistakably Caucasian was the key to Kai's outrageous success, first as a model and later as an actor in the Republic of Korea. He was far and away the most striking-looking of the young Western men working in the Korean modeling industry, which netted him more than his share of lucrative jobs. But as his spoken Korean improved, he became much more in demand. Everyone wanted to work with the young American who was more interested in their culture than he was in their money, which, ironically, netted him more money than he ever would have thought possible, and certainly more than he ever thought reasonable. This led to a gig on a kid's TV show, and eventually to a major role in a historical TV drama loosely based on Hendrik Hamill, the first Westerner to wade onto Korean shores in the aftermath of a Dutch shipwreck in 1653. This led to his first film, in which he played the charismatic son of a shipping tycoon slash serial killer, <gasps> who is avenged by the ghost of his mistress's twin sister. Oh, I would watch the <laughs> hell out of that. While abysmal, Sister Avengers opened the door to his first modeling gigs with international brands, and soon his face smiled down on every bus shelter between Taipei and Tamil Nadu. Oh. Yeah, I just thought, one, like, you know, again, this, if you're just saying a story about a mo- romantic story about a model, you think it's going to be pretty fluff. And so I just thought, like, what a brilliant and like, just like a lovely way to to do some character backstory that's not too far fetched and a little bit of historical, like, knowledge in there. Um, and yeah, I thought that was really sweet. Because again, This is proof, y'all. If you are a writer of these stories, if you're an aspiring writer of these stories, my book was 30 pages and it had character depth. I knew who these people were. I gave a shit about them. It had spicy sex scenes. You still got your happy ending. But it wasn't just like gonzo porn of like, we've met and now we're finger fucking and then we're moving. You know what I mean? Like it can't be done, y'all. You don't have to choose between like the length And the depth of the characters, you don't have to choose between, like, romance and filthiness. You could do it all! You could do it all. And both Adriana Herrera and Michael P. Thomas are proof of that. So, shout out to them. Yeah. Yeah. 
that was us this week. That was us. I have a feeling you're going to go back to the dark side for your next one. Am I correct? You better believe it. <laughs> better believe it, baby. <laughs> I got a one track and I'm not popping off. You're like, I got my lane, Julie. I know what's good. So uh, <laughs> what's the doing next time, buddy? The United Kingdom. The United Kingdom. Uh, England. England. Saxon. <laughs> Spotty dick. <laughs> good tits. When I found out tit was actually a bird, oof. When I tell you, I laugh so fucking hard. Um, yeah, we're going, we're doing good tit, fucking Prince Chuck. We're going, we don't, we can go in any kind of a direction. Um, but that is our next theme here on Ravage Love. Thanks to everyone yeah. for listening to us this week and every week with our zany stories. Um, if you missed Renee's unhinged literature, don't worry. <laughs> As discussed, she will make sure to hop back on that train for next episode. Don't you worry. Sure will, buddy. Do you want to sing us out? Sure do. <clears throat> Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the show is created by Karen McKnight. Very special thanks to Josh Shenfield for production assistance. You can find Josh on Instagram at FushiGiyami. That's F-U-S-H-I-G-I-Y-A-M-I on Instagram. Connect with us at RavageLove on Instagram and Twitter, or by email at RavageLove.podcast at gmail.com. So why male models? Think about it, Derek. Male models were genetically constructed to become assassins. They're in peak physical condition. They can gain entry to the most secure places in the world. And most important of all, models don't think for themselves. They do as they're told. That is not true. Yes, it is, Derek. Okay. Yeah, think about any photo shoot you've ever been on. You're a monkey, Derek! You're a monkey! Dance, monkey! In your little spangly shoes! Master Simbo, Simpy! Dance, Derek! Dance! Good point. But if this has been going on for so long, Mugatu... Well, he's just a punk-ass errand boy working for an international syndicate of fashion designers. You do a little background check on your Mr. Mugatu, you'll find that he sold his soul to the devil for a shot at the big time. But why male models? You serious? I just... I just told you that a moment ago. Right. <laughs>